Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we pray tonight for your help. O gracious Lord, pour out your Spirit upon your people, that we might recognize the authority, your authority, in your own word, that we might recognize the voice of our Master, that we might be subdued by your, your Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, help us. Oh, let it not take bit or bridle to bring us to your side. May we come easily by a word. Gracious God, help us tonight. Help us all to hear and to understand and to believe and to make application of that which we hear and take responsibility to do it, no matter the price. Help us all. Stand with us, Father. Be not far from us. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 5, verse 1. This is God's word. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper for saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you, have, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not associate with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. God's Word. Beloved, our passage in God's Word tonight is about three things. It is about the walk of love, the walk of light, and the way of wisdom. I've lifted those phrases right out of the text. The walk of love is verse 2, the walk of light is verse 8, and the way of wisdom is verse 15. Now, just because the way of wisdom is not mentioned until verse 15, it does not mean the way of wisdom is not present earlier in the mind of Paul. In fact, the way of wisdom is a narrow road that runs through this whole passage, verses 1 to 16. And what is this narrow road about? It is all about sexual purity. Sexual purity in our desires, sexual purity in our speech, sexual purity in what we look at and listen to, and of course, sexual purity in what we touch, 
who we touch and who touches us. So as I said, the way of wisdom running through this passage is a narrow road. To stay on it, you will have to be careful. It is not a wide road where you can just wander along without thinking. If you wander, you will destroy yourself. This is a narrow road. You must keep your eyes on the road. But praise be to God, Christ goes with you on this road. He walks it with you, before you, behind you, beside you. Beloved, this is the road where you find him. This is where you keep the sweet communion with him. Now, this way of wisdom is not just a narrow road. It is a hard road. You have to stay awake. You have to stay sharp. You have to know what's going on around you. You even have to fight against things on this hard road. Paul said in his final letter, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 2 Timothy 4.7. The worst things that you have to fight on this hard road are inside of you. Temptation, desire, apathy, self-indulgence, a spirit of entitlement. It is painful, this fight. There is suffering. This is a hard road. But the Savior, your Savior, knows all about how hard it is. He knows how hard this road will be for you and is for you. And he is determined to encourage you with friends and his own dear presence and his own power as you walk this hard way of wisdom. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15. Now, this way of wisdom is not only a narrow road and a hard road, it is also a high road. There are only a few who reach for it. Not many are traveling on it. In Matthew 7, 13, Jesus said, For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Then he immediately adds, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, And those who find it are few. Not many take the high road of sexual purity. This road separates you from a lot of people. It separates you from people who were your friends. It separates you from a boyfriend or a girlfriend who refuses to walk this road with you. This high road separates you even in a crowd when your spirit cannot laugh at the impure things many others are laughing at. This high road separates you from activities and from places many other people go. It separates you from entertainment many other people relish. This high road will make you lonely. But as Rich Mullins said, it's okay to be lonely as long as you are free. Free from slavery to sin free to worship and adore Jesus Christ, free from the common broad way of death, free from the rot of chronic sin, free to walk in love and walk in light. Now, before we look closely at those other two walks, I must be even more clear 
about this narrow way of sexual purity. If we hear clearly what Paul is saying about this narrow road, we will realize that no man, no woman can travel this road unless they have first been enabled by God's power to walk it. The narrow road of sexual purity is so otherworldly You literally need a supernatural enablement to walk upon it and stay upon it and promote it to others. You need supernatural enablement. So here is even more clarity about the narrow way of sexual purity. In verse 3, Paul gives three categories of, of practices which are forbidden among those who have faith in Christ. When he says these things, He says they must not even be named among you. He is making clear there is never an acceptable time or an acceptable situation for any of these things to be allowed. They must not even be named among you. Meaning churches must not give any shelter to these three things. They must not even be named among you. Meaning individual Christians must not give any shelter in their private life to these three things. And the three things are sexual immorality, all impurity, and covetousness. All three of these are speaking to the same subject. All three speak of the ways sinners like us once indulged ourselves by using other people. Using other people in sexually impure ways. And Paul is saying, it all must be banished from our lives. And you can see there's a movement in his three categories. And the movement is from the outside to the inside. Sexual immorality refers to all sexual contact with other persons outside of marriage. The second category, all impurity, refers to anything that is sexually unclean that we want to look at or listen to, or touch. It may or it may not involve other persons. You could be completely alone in a room, but all impurity is still to be banished even there. And then there's the word covetousness. And in this context, it refers to all sexual impurity on the inside, in your thoughts, in your desires. The 10th commandment says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. That's what Paul's talking about. Exodus 20, verse 17. Remember, before King David committed adultery with Bathsheba, he was coveting her in his heart. So covetousness in verse 3, and again in verse 5, refers to sexual greed. There's nobody outside the church of Jesus Christ telling you to stop that because nobody loves you as much as the head of the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Sexual greed is where we quietly look at other people or look at characters in books or look at someone on television as objects for our gratification. It's covetousness. It's idolatry. Now for even more clarity, when we make specific application of these three categories from verse three, we end up with this. All sexual contact outside of marriage is forbidden. 
There must be no sexual contact in the life of unmarried persons. There must be no rape, no fornication, no sodomy. There must be no sexual contact with a prostitute. There must be no sexual contact with someone else's husband or someone else's wife. All sexual contact between members of a family is forbidden, except the husband and the wife. There must be no incest. There must be no consuming and sharing impure photos. Consuming and sharing impure songs is forbidden. Consuming and sharing impure books is forbidden. All pornography, images, or written is forbidden. Anything that provokes uncleanness in ourselves or in others is forbidden. All unclean imaginations, thoughts, purposes, and affections are forbidden. Some of you might recognize that I have just downloaded in your brain a paragraph from the Westminster Larger Catechism. This is not new teaching in the church of Jesus Christ. Now in verse 4, Paul calls us to wash out our own mouth with soap. (laughs) Maybe your grandmother or your mother once did that to you. Now Paul calls you to be the grown-up and go do it yourself. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Paul calls us to banish any and every kind of obscene speech. Dirty jokes, cat calls on the street, innuendos, the whole world of dirty talk between men and men, between men and women, between women and women. In all of it, the Christian is to be a non-participant, silent. In the commerce of sexualized humor, where people create and keep bonds of twisted friendship, the Christian must become an outsider. We don't use that as a device of friendship. We must be poor then. We must be impoverished then in the commerce of dirty talk. Of course, we will not avoid hearing this talk ourselves. We'd have to go outside the world. And as you should teach your children, as I teach mine, it is not a sin to hear something wrong. It is a sin to advance it with your own voice. We can avoid enjoying the wrongs we hear. And we must avoid speaking them ourselves. Now there is one more thing about this narrow road before we consider the walk of love and the walk of light. And the one more thing is the urgency of this narrow road. There is no time to waste according to verse 5 and 6. If you are not on this narrow road and you should have no, if you are not on this narrow road, You should have no expectation of safety before God. You should only have expectation of wrath from God. And this is the urgent point of verse 5 and 6. Anyone who continues to live and practice sexual impurity has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Don't be deceived, verse 6. Don't fall for the lie. When people tell you or you tell yourself that you can have your sin and have God's eternal salvation too, you've been deceived. 
You cannot have both of those. If you think otherwise, you are believing empty words, verse 6. Empty words like, you have been baptized, you'll be fine. Or empty words like, you profess faith in Christ in the church, you'll be fine. Or empty words like, you're a member of a biblical church, you'll be fine. Or empty words like, your dad's a pastor, you'll be fine. Empty words, deceiving words. You won't be fine. If you remain committed to sexual impurity, if you do not repent and turn away from it and follow Christ by faith on the narrow road, you will fall under the wrath of God for eternity. Let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. Now we must not make the mistake of thinking our own sexual purity is what earns salvation for us. That is not Paul's point in verse 5 and 6. Paul's point is that if we refuse sexual purity, if we refuse it as our heart's ambition, as our life's practice, if we refuse it, we reveal who we really are. We reveal we are sons of disobedience, verse 6. Not beloved children of God, verse 1. Those who refuse sexual purity have not been born of God. They are not his offspring, even if they are in the church. But those who fight for sexual purity, even if they are lonely, even if they are not laughing, even if they are somber, even if their eyes are red with tears of repentance, if they are fighting for sexual purity out of desire to please the Lord, they have been born of God. Dead fish don't swim upstream. That's just another way of saying those who, have, who remain dead in their sins will always flow with the current. But those who are alive and are fighting against sexual impurity, they are alive by the birth of God. The seed of divine love has been implanted within them by the Holy Spirit. And they cannot resist the expansion of this seed. It is taking over their life. It is convicting them of sin. It is hastening them to repent. It is separating them from the sons of disobedience. It is bearing fruit in them of all that is good and all that is right and all that is true. And they are gaining the upper hand. So we need to be clear. No one is born of God by their sexual purity. None. We are born of God first when the purity of Jesus Christ is freely applied to us by the Holy Spirit. God does, God does this not because he found sexual purity in us and therefore applied Christ to us as a reward for finding it in us. Mm-mm. No, God gives the new birth to us sinners freely. We are not born of God based on our merits nor based on our readiness. We are born of God by grace. The grossest of sinners can be born of God. You could have been a prostitute and a homosexual and an adulterer and you can be born of God, even so. But you can be all those things and think that you are safe with God and be deceived by empty words. 
Remember in John 4, you meet a woman who had five husbands. Five. And she was shacking up with another on the day she met Jesus Christ. She was suddenly born of God that day. In 1 Corinthians 6, you can read about homosexuals who were suddenly born of God. And they put away their homosexuality. We are not born of God because we have pulled together enough sexual purity. I hope I'm making this clear. There are many people who live fairly clean lives sexually, but they died never being born of God. You see, we are born of God freely by God's will, not our own will. Only then does a deepening sexual purity follow us as we grow up into the life in which we have been born, the life of Christ who abused no one, Christ who used no one, Christ who left people pure in his interactions with them. His life now, born in us through the Holy Spirit by faith, begins to take over. A new life of true righteousness and holiness created after the likeness of God. Which brings us then to the other two walks. The walk of love and the walk of light. In verse 2 Paul says, life on the high road of sexual purity will only come by walking in love. But what does it mean to walk in love? It means that the soul has such a clear sight of having been loved by God in Christ that the soul overflows with love. Love to God. Love to all people in sexual purity. So Paul says in verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved you. Have such a lively sense of being loved yourself that this love compels you and moves you and straightens you and quickens you down the narrow road when you love others in a manner like you have been loved. Walk in love as Christ has loved you. How has Christ loved you? He gave himself up for you by offering himself to God as a sacrifice for your sins. He didn't keep himself for himself. He didn't indulge himself. He gave himself up as God the Son in human flesh. He made the entirety of his life an offering to God the Father. His perfect obedience to God's law, his pure devotion to God's glory, all this made him a fragrant offering, the only fitting sacrifice for our sins. And so he placed himself under divine wrath on the cross, not for his sins. He had none. But for your sins, walk in love as Christ loved you. All throughout human history, our holy God required a sacrifice in order to have fellowship with sinful man. All the animal sacrifices of ancient Israel said, if this sacrifice is not consumed on the altar for my sins, then my own life must be consumed by God's wrath for my sins. So men who believed God's gracious offer of communion, men who desired God's gracious offer of communion, they brought the proper animal sacrifice until God himself brought forth the final sacrifice, his own son, the Lamb of God, 
Jesus Christ the Lord. He loved us this way, beloved, at great cost to himself, to separate us from our sin, to remove sin's guilt from us, to remove sin's penalty from us, to remove sin's dominion over us. That's his love for us, at great cost to himself. Walk in love as Christ loved you. You cannot get this wrong. You cannot make up your own mind on how Christ loved you. I've just told you from scripture how Christ has loved you. Walk in love as Christ loved you. So walk in the love that you have been loved with. Keep such a clear sight of Christ's costly love in redeeming you that you are filled with such costly love yourself. By this you are enabled to give yourself up. You are enabled to live so as not to please yourself. You are enabled to, you are enabled to not indulge yourself. You are enabled not to put yourself at the center where you consume other people's bodies to gratify yourself. Instead, keep such a clear sight of Christ's love for you that your life can be consumed as a holy offering to God, a living sacrifice, which means pay the costs of purity, the cost of love, so that you do not draw others into sexual sin. Pay the cost of purity on the high and narrow road so others can see in you a new world of light instead of the same old darkness. Which brings me then to the walk of light. Paul begins to speak of the walk of light in verse 8. He says, At one time we were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now Paul learned this language from our Lord Jesus Christ. In John 12, 36, Jesus said, Everyone who comes to him for salvation is a son of the light. A son of the light. This means the very light of God is in them who come to Jesus for salvation. This means everyone who sees their need for Christ has come to see things as they really are. They've come into the divine light. They see sin now especially their own sin, in the light of God's truth, in the light of God's righteousness, in the light of God's wrath. Sons of the light have powers of discernment, Hebrews 5.14. They can distinguish between good and evil. It is the light of truth within us. So when Paul says, walk in the light, what is he saying? He is saying, look at all the things Look at all things as they really are. Shine the light of the gospel on everything. Don't leave anything, especially sexual impurity, in the shadows. Shine the light on it. Expose the real form and the real nature of it. That's what light does. It allows you to see things as they really are. Now, ungodly men who deny Christ, they want to keep things in the dark. They want to call that which is wrong, right. They want to approve 
what God forbids. They want to declare God's peace and pardon for lifestyles that are really under God's wrath. They want to bring men in the darkness with them. John Calvin said, quote, ungodly men flatter themselves in their vices and wish their crimes to be concealed or to be reckoned as virtues. Psalm 36.2 says, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. Beloved, to walk in the light then is to expose the corruption that is really in the things others call clean and to expose that to your own mind and heart first. We are called to walk as children of light, to expose to our conscience the truth of what other men approve. So when you hear of people who say they are a gay Christian, shine the light on that and you will see it is actually darkness. When you hear people say, I can enjoy popular soft porn movies and television shows, shine the light on that and you will see it is actually darkness. And when you hear people say sexual touching is okay as long as it's not intercourse, shine the light on that and you will see that that is actually darkness. This is what it means to walk in the light. In Luke 8, 17, Jesus said, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. In the saints, in believers, this discerning judgment of the last day has already begun in us. This light of the final day is already in us because we have come to God through Christ. And we now are in the, sh- in the shelter of the cross, able to see everything for what it really is. Now, as I close, I want to remind you of this. Before any of us were given the charge to shine the light and expose these things, this searching light was first shined upon us. Christ has already exposed to every believer their own sin. Christ has exposed what we wanted hidden. He exposed it and did not leave us in our darkness. Scripture says, give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Christ has shined the light in us first by grace and mercy. It is by his grace and mercy that he has put us on the narrow road. And he has put us on that road with people who were once prostitutes, who were once adulterers, who were once fornicators, who were once sexual predators, who were once crude and filthy jokesters. Those are the people on the narrow road now with us. He has put you there. And Christ himself is there with his sons of light. Now he may have to come up and push you down this road. 
He may have to reach back and pull you down this road. He may have to shoulder you from side to side to keep you on this road. But he will keep you on this narrow road, this narrow road of love and light and purity. And at the end of the road, when you have reached your destination, the kingdom of glory, where sin and sorrow and loneliness and suffering is no more, when you have reached home, you will not regret on that day any of his pushes, any of his pulling, any of his shouldering. You will not regret on that wonderful day even having to listen to this sermon tonight that meddled in your life in the most hopeful and helpful way. Because, beloved, the kingdom of Jesus Christ is a glorious place of purity. And to have been born sons and daughters in that kingdom is to be ripening even today towards purity. It is your true inheritance to be those who walk in the same love with which Christ has loved you, where you cease from abusing other people, even people you do not know, people on a screen that you consume for $1.95. Walk in the love with which Christ has loved you. Be like your Savior. Pay the price to leave people alone in their purity so that you can speak to them about never being alone in your Savior. Let us pray. Father, help us, we pray. Believe these things. Pour out your Spirit upon us to reform our lives according to these things. Give us the strength of heart by your own power and spirit, by the merits of your dear son, to lay hold of these things without regret, without embarrassment, without fear. In Jesus' name, amen.